The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And today we have Tabitha Barber, and we are going to talk all about your hormones today. So welcome, Dr. Barber. Um, well, you actually, you go by Dr. Tabitha, right? Either one is fine. Thanks for having me back, Chantel. Yeah, so I've got tons of questions for you today. Everyone loved your episode. And so I've over, I'm overwhelmed with questions for you today. So tell <laughs> listeners before we get started, though, a little bit about yourself before I jump right into all of our questions. Okay. Yeah, I am the functional gynecologist. So I like to tackle women's female issues using functional medicine. You know, we really try to get to the root of the cause, which is usually... Um, lifestyle or diet related, something going on in your life. And sometimes it's adrenal imbalances, thyroid imbalances, high toxic burden, things like that. So we try to get to the root cause and work on it with diet and lifestyle changes. And it's been super rewarding. And you and I connected because intermittent fasting is one of the tools that I use to do that. And as you know, it's life changing, right? Yeah, absolutely. It really is. All right. So here we go. I'm going to jump right in. This one is from Lauren Harper. I've heard a lot of people ask about intermittent fasting affecting menstrual cycles a lot, especially when they're just starting. I'd love to hear more about that of how it affects it and what can I do to prevent it from messing up my menstrual cycle. That's a great question. So a lot of times it actually helps get you into a normal cycle if you're not because sugar imbalances and too much stress and cortisol production can cause you to have irregular cycles. And so we use intermittent fasting as a way to get you balanced. But she's right in the fact that sometimes it can interrupt an already good cycle if you are doing it too much too much ketosis, um, not getting enough carbohydrates, especially like around after you ovulate that third to fourth week of your cycle, we tend to need more carbohydrates to produce that progesterone to get us through the month until our next bleed. So, you know, I like to use it as a tool going in and out, not all the time necessarily. I think once you learn how to do it and you become intuitive with your body and what your body's needs are, then you know when to fast and when not to, right? So I would say to start out, I usually start out a few days after the heaviness of my period slows down. So you're early in your cycle, you're you have tons of energy because you got a good amount of estrogen going. And so that's a perfect time to fast. You don't really need to eat, you know, just do your thing. You're super, you know, energized, creative, productive. And then more toward the end of the month, when you're about to have your period again, give yourself time to rest and relax. I think of it like when you ovulate, your body 
is possibly preparing for pregnancy, right? It thinks it might implant that egg. And so your body thinks of you as needing to rest and repair and get ready to carry a child. And so you should embrace that idea and not stress your body too much and give it the love that it needs and maybe not fast, you know, for 20 hours or anything like that. Just stick with your 12 hour fast during that time. So let me ask you this. So for me, if you count day one as your period, your period, for me, my period maybe lasts for about four days, um, maybe five days. So like on day five, that's when, for whatever reason, I feel like it's easier for me to fast is in that day five period. And then again, around day 15, um, and it's just because I've been fasting so long, especially when I want to do an extended fast, like a two to three day fast, I have to do it either on day five or in that day 15 window seems to be my best. So can you talk about why, if you agree with that and is that right? And what's going on in your hormones that make it easier on those days? Yeah, I totally agree. That's Pretty much what I'm saying is once that heavy bleed has calmed down, you know, and you're not losing as much blood during those days, you might need a little bit more iron supplementation, iron rich foods. But then, like I said, you have all this energy because your estrogen's ramping up and it's giving you, you know, all of this creativity and energy for production, I think that's a perfect time to fast. So you figured that out intuitively by doing it enough, figured out when you felt good doing it and when you didn't feel good doing it, right? So again, after you ovulate, you have that surge of hormones. And so it's a good time. It's where we need to maintain the hormone production is when it becomes more difficult and we usually tend to crave more carbohydrates at that time. So like I said, like the end of the third week going into the fourth week of your cycle for sure is probably not the best time to fast, at least as a beginner, right? Yeah. So talk about what's happening with your progesterone and estrogen levels that's causing you to be doing well on day 15. Um, and day five, that it makes it a little bit easier? Like what is the levels doing of why it is easier? So we're, and this is assuming the woman is balanced, right? She's ovulating, she's having a nice cycle. She, so after cycle day one is the first day that you bleed and you bleed and shed that lining for a few days, and then your estrogen starts to be produced and ramp up to a nice smooth level. And around day 14 or so, that triggers your ovary to release an egg. That leftover cyst in your ovary actually produces progesterone. So that progesterone starts to go up then and meet the estrogen. And they kind of hang out there for a little while in to keep that lining thick and plush in case the egg wants to implant. And when you don't get pregnant and there is no implantation, then your body says, oh, I guess you don't need that anymore. And your estrogen and progesterone plummet, and then you start bleeding. So around day five, when that estrogen and progesterone are just starting to be made again after that period, 
that is when you have a nice balance and good production. And that happens again after you ovulate, when the progesterone is balanced with the estrogen. So where a lot of women get into trouble is if they don't have enough progesterone or too much estrogen or both, that imbalance, that is what causes all of our crazy symptoms that we don't enjoy. (laughs) Okay. This one is from Rowana Cortez. She says, I'm, I'm, 43 years old and I'm losing hair by the handfuls in the shower. I cannot lose weight no matter what I try. I am doing intermittent fasting and trying to eat healthy, but I'm so tired. I had a blood panel done by my doctor and they said my thyroid was normal. My TSH was at 1.98. I'm borderline pre-diabetic and losing weight seems to be really hard. Right now I'm doing OMAD one meal a day and I'm doing this at least six days a week, but the scale is still moving slowly. I am losing a little bit of weight, but it's just so slow. Do you think that maybe I have adrenal fatigue? Do you think it's my hormones? What should I just keep going or what is going on? Oh, that's a lot to unpackage, right? <laughs> there's there's a lot going on. So a couple important indicators, her prediabetes, her elevated blood sugar, that can make it really difficult to get your sex hormones in control because sex hormones are almost like an innocent bystander. They get affected by more powerful hormones upstream like insulin, which has to do with your sugar regulation and with cortisol, your stress hormone. So for her, you know, I would start with saying it could be, and it most likely is a combination of things because it's all interconnected. It all affects each other. So my question would be what thyroid labs were checked because Conventional physicians are trained to just check a TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. And that's actually a hormone from your brain, from your pituitary gland talking to your thyroid. It's not even thyroid hormone or how your body's utilizing your thyroid hormones. So functional medicine physicians are trained to check your two types of thyroid hormone, the free and total available thyroid hormones. There's also something called reverse T3, which acts like a bully to T3, and it competes for the receptor spot. So if you have too much reverse T3, you can have a normal amount of active T3 hormone, and it won't be able to send the signals to your cells because it's that reverse T3 is blocking those sites. So there are many more labs that your doctor should be evaluating to see if your thyroid is actually functioning well. That's just telling the doctor that the the brain is still talking to the thyroid. It's not telling what your body's doing with that thyroid hormone. And then on top of that, you could have an autoimmune issue where your body's attacking its own thyroid tissue and that interferes with its ability to function well. So that um, comes about with usually the standard American diet or bad chronic stressed out lives. And so you can develop this autoimmune condition. It's guesstimated that 70% of women with hypothyroidism have this problem called Hashimoto's and that is just not diagnosed because there's no 
medication for it, right? So doctors don't usually check for it. So for that woman, I would definitely want to be evaluating all of that. And I would really want to be working on getting inflammation down with an anti-inflammatory diet and using the intermittent fasting, but we might need to switch things up a little bit more. Maybe she's doing dirty keto. Maybe she's, you know, her fats aren't that healthy. Maybe we need to start incorporating more nuts and seeds and salmon and good healthy foods like that. Um, so many issues. The other component with thyroid and estrogen and progesterone is that when you have too much estrogen, your thyroid binding globulin, which carries your thyroid hormone around your body, can get too high from that excess estrogen or from too little progesterone. And if it carries it around, it's, it's like a bus. It just carries that thyroid hormone around, but it never stops and lets the thyroid hormone off to do its job. And so it's not available to use and send the signals like, hey, you know, increase my metabolism, help me sleep, help me poop. So it's very much an interconnected situation that if, if you have too much estrogen or too little progesterone, your thyroid's going to suffer. Mm. And I, I could so what is kind that. of the best? So if you, let's talk about, cause don't you have a free guide on thyroid of what your numbers should be and tell people how they can get that? Yeah, so it's important to get all of those labs that I mentioned tested, not just your TSH and free T4. So I have a free thyroid lab cheat sheet that you can get to see what do I need to test? Um, but I will tell you that if you take that to your conventional doctor, they might not know what to do with it because it's really not something I learned in traditional med school, right? It's not something I learned until I went through the Cleveland Clinic's Institute for Functional Medicine and really figured out how to understand hormones in your body. So the other thing I was going to mention, you and I talked about this last time, is pooping. So the low thyroid function causes constipation. Constipation causes more of your estrogen to be reabsorbed that was supposed to be left out in your stool. And so you get into this vicious cycle of too much estrogen making your thyroid function worse and the, the worse thyroid function causing more constipation and more estrogen excess. So it's hard to get out of that cycle. You got to get yourself pooping first and foremost. So one of the things that I think is a, a real dance that you have to do is figuring out what is the perfect dosage for people. Like, you know, do they need T4? Do, I mean, do they need a, like armor thyroid? Do they need cytomelon having, you know, T4, T3 combo, or do they need to add some T3? So what do you, what do, you do to kind of do that dance with people to kind of look at them. And let's say, let's say they're just a little bit off, you know, would you say, you know, I was looking at a friend of mine's lab work and she, her thyroid was a little bit off. And, you know, I said to her, I said, I don't think I would get on thyroid medicine right now. Like, I think that with your diet, with doing some more intermittent fasting, with, you know, taking the right supplements, you might be able to fix this. So what, yeah. what is your opinion on that? Like, let's say somebody is 
you know, just a little bit off, what, what's your first remedy and then what's your second remedy for them? Well, it depends on if it's a new diagnosis or if it's been going on for a long time. There's a lot of women who are diagnosed with hypothyroidism in the past, and then they're no longer on medication, but they don't feel the best. And so sometimes you want to start them back on it to kickstart their metabolism, get things balanced, right? So when I was talking about the Hashimoto's autoimmune component, that can be tricky because treating that has more to do with removing triggers that are making your immune system angry. So if you can get your immune system calmed down and it's no longer attacking your thyroid, it can usually function better and make thyroid hormone on its own and then you don't need to replace it. So it really does depend on the diagnosis and where the woman is. I would say if she's struggling with a lot of symptoms, I go ahead and replace that thyroid hormone and I help optimize it while we're working on the diet and lifestyle changes because it's really hard to eat right and get your body moving if you feel like crap and have no energy, right? So you got to give them a little win to get going. And sometimes it's temporary, sometimes it's long term, you know. For a long time, it was thought that natural T3 made from pig glandular thyroid tissue was because it's natural, it's going to be better for your body, this and that. What I have found is a lot of women who have autoimmune disease, their immune system reacts to that glandular thyroid medication because it's actual thyroid tissue. And sometimes those natural medications can make that system worse. And so I've had to switch some people over and it gets complicated because you've switched them them over to T4 to Synthroid. Yeah, but not to Synthroid. There's a newer medication now called Tyrosint and it doesn't have gluten in it because that's the big issue with Synthroid is it made a lot of people have more joint pain and more fatigue and more reaction of their immune system because we know that gluten is a big trigger for autoimmune thyroid. So I've actually been pretty happy with Tyrosent and how my patients have responded to it. They felt better, you know, but that's the research on that is not there, you know, because That is not a patented medication, so nobody wants to pay for that kind of research. They're not going to make any money. So it is, you know, something that you and your doctor should work with individually and try and figure out what is the best thyroid medication for you if you do need it at all, right? Mm -hmm. And some women I have on a combination of T4 and T3 because if you have insulin resistance, prediabetes or diabetes, that can inhibit the conversion of your inactive T4 to active T3. So if you have someone with diabetes and hypothyroidism on Synthroid, they're not going to use that medication. It's not going to get activated. They're going to struggle. All right. This one is from Damalia Normandino. It says, is there an ideal window length for women in their 50s? Is there a shorter window that might be less stressful or should I do a longer window 
and for intermittent fasting? Does it raise your cortisol? I'm pretty confident I have a lot of cortisol issues and I'm under extreme stress. I know that fasting causes a stress to your body. So is that going to be too much stress for me? Can you talk about how cortisol and fasting work together? Yeah, so that is something that you need to play around with as an individual because all of our bodies respond differently. But in general, cortisol production does cause you to make glucose. It's called gluconeogenesis. So when you are stressed out, either physically, mentally, or emotionally, your body thinks you're either going to fight or run, right? And so it needs to pump out glucose into your bloodstream. And then insulin has to follow suit to go take care of it. So if you are feeling super stressed when you fast, it's going to probably kick you out of ketosis and not benefit you as much. So Fasting should be something that you're incorporating with meditation or prayer or breathing techniques, things to keep your cortisol production down, right? And to help heal you and feel better. Usually the cortisol flare up is temporary and that's okay. Like we're normally supposed to have a cortisol shift in the morning when we wake up that's our natural caffeine to get us going in the day right and give us energy to move for the day but if we keep making cortisol and keep that level up there then it's going to kick us out of ketosis and not benefit us so for her I would say she needs to figure out where she's struggling right and for menopausal women I hear that the sweet spot is usually 14 hours, but honestly, it's different for everyone. I, you know, are you busy during the day? What's your sleep schedule like? That type of thing. It's all connected. Mm. All right. This next one is from Jenny Santino. I'm worried about taking hormones. I found out that my testosterone is low, my estrogen is low, and my progesterone is low. I'm 46 years old and I want to take it, but I don't know what the effects are going to be. What is your thoughts on taking hormones? And is there any other way that I can get these numbers level without being on any kind of cream or medication? So if you are low across the board at 46, you're probably looking, you know, at perimenopause where you are in the transition of not making hormones as much as you were. And that is harder to get back naturally without replacement. So if she was a little imbalanced in one or the other, I would say, you know, you could do some chastry which is um, from the chastberry to help with progesterone production and get your cycles regular. So I would want to talk to her more about her cycles, but just know that the bioidentical hormone replacements that are available are safe. What isn't safe are the um, estrogens made from horse urine called conjugated equine estrogens. That is what was in the Women's Health Initiative study back in 2002, I think it was. That is what showed an increase in blood clot and stroke. 
the synthetic progestins that are in birth control pills and in some hormone replacement pills, that is what's been implicated in breast cancer. So you just need to stay away from Premarin, Prempro, any conjugated equine estrogen or progestin. So if you get a natural estradiol, it could be um, in a patch or a cream. If you get a natural progesterone compound or testosterone, then you're probably gonna be just fine. Those are much safer because they are molecularly like the hormones that our body makes, right? The one caveat with the estradiol, the estrogen, is that if you take it in pill form, your gut and liver uh, metabolize that into something called estrone, into a larger amount than the patch does. So that can set you up for um, feeding breast tissue and uterine tissue and lead down the road of cancer. So I don't like the estrogen pills myself even though it's estradiol, because it gets converted in the gut like that, I just try to stay away from the pill if the patient, you know, is agreeable to a patch or a lozenge or a cream, you know, that type of thing. There's also pellets, which I don't do pellets. I find that it's hard to get a good, um, nice low dose for women on pellets. They're often overdosed, but that's just my personal preference. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you I'm offering a free weight loss virtual Bible study. Now is the perfect time to focus on understanding true hunger and fullness and learn what the Bible has to say about it. All you have to do is go to ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study. After you sign up, you'll receive a six week Bible study video that you can watch on your own or you can get a small group of people and do it together. That's ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study for your free six week Bible study course. Well, let me go to the next question and then I'll ask mine. This is from Amanda G. What is the best test to do for your hormones? Is it saliva, blood, or urine? Should I do all three? Who do you know that can test all of them? And is that a waste of money or should I just do one? I'm currently on Armour Thyroid and Cytomel, both a small dosage two times a day, morning and afternoon. I am so tired and so constipated. I feel like my thyroid is still not working, even though the doctor says my, my numbers are where they should be. Also, my friend says that she gets hers from a compound pharmacy. Should I do a compound pharmacy or should I stick with doing my armor and Cytomel? Help, Amanda G. Oh, yeah, she needs to find a functional physician because there's a lot to deal with there. It depends on her age. Is she cycling? Is this hormone replacement that we're talking about? Or is she still in reproductive age? So there's benefits to each way of testing. The blood testing that we can do will check your free available hormones that you have circulating in your blood. And so if you are having a cycle and you know when you're bleeding, then blood levels work just fine. But because your levels change every day, the 28 days, we need to know where you're at in that month to be able to look at the reference ranges and say, are you where you should be? You know, if you're on day 21 and 
and we're thinking you're on day three, we're going to interpret those levels completely different. So if you don't have a uterus, like you had a hysterectomy, but you still have ovaries and are still making hormones, blood work is really hard to interpret. And I wouldn't necessarily do that right off the bat unless you can't afford the more advanced testing that isn't covered by insurance. So that would be the urine and saliva. So those are checking the metabolites or the breakdown products of these hormones. And they can give us a lot more detail of what your body's doing with those hormones. So it's really informative in that way because we have three types of estrogen, which a lot of women don't realize. They think we just have one. And one of them actually feeds the breast and uterine tissue in a bad way and can increase your risk of cancer. So doing something like a Dutch urine testing can show you, do you have too much of this um, 4-hydroxyestrone floating around? Do we really need to like get serious and intervene so that you don't go on to develop breast cancer? So I love that test for that reason, but it is costly. It's a cash pay test, right? So not every How much is that? Ooh, I feel like it's in the $400 range. There's different tests. So if you're looking at infertility, there's cycle mapping where you watch and you test yourself for 28 days and get a nice printout of everything that you're doing in your cycle. There is just um, Dutch Complete that looks at one day, one 24-hour period in your month. There is Dutch Plus, which does all that. Plus, it does saliva testing for cortisol to see what how your stress hormone is um, interacting with your sex hormone. So that's a really cool test that can that can help a lot of women because I think a lot of women say, oh, I'm stressed, but I'm always stressed. It's not a big deal. And I think that because we're all stressed together, we downplay just how bad it can get. And that can really show us some dysfunction that's going on. And some women need to see that on paper to actually believe it. So I like the test for that reason. So I can't tell this woman who's asking the question which test is best for her because I don't know how old she is, where she's at reproductive-wise, what her goals are. Um, but I would say, you know, look for a second opinion. See if you can find somebody else to help you with that. Well, the blood test, if you have a primary care physician, obviously is the cheapest route, like if you have health insurance, right? Because then they can do that. But in general, would you say, what about, the, the, don't they also do the hair test, right? Because they really do hair, saliva, and urine, right? Yeah, I haven't seen that the hair testing is as accurate. I, I haven't seen good data behind that one, so I don't use that for hormones anyway. Um, I do want to mention that just because your doctor ordered blood work doesn't mean they're necessarily going to pick up on imbalances. Conventional doctors, which, you know, I'm a conventionally trained doctor, we are taught to look for disease. So we are taught to look for extremes. Like you have to be so far gone that you have a diagnosis and you're well out of range before we tell you something's wrong. Whereas you're going to feel symptomatic and not good 
when you're like at the end of the high range or at the end of the low range, when you're still in the normal range, you're going to still have symptoms, but not have gone overboard to the point of like diagnosable, you know, disease. So you got to take that with a caveat that they are trying to prevent disease. They're not trying to give you optimal health and wellness. So if you are being told that things are in the normal range and you don't feel like you are living your best life, you need to keep looking. The other issue is those ranges were created like in the 1940s and they were all based on middle-aged white men. So they really don't, shouldn't even be used as references for us women, but they are. So like, so let's say someone calls you because you see clients everywhere, right? Like you can see them on Zoom and, and so when they come to see you, what would you say? Would you say most of the time I order blood tests, most of the time I order urine tests? What, what would you say is the majority or do you do both? I, I almost always order blood testing because I want to see what your fasting sugar and insulin are doing. I want to see what your cholesterol looks like because cholesterol is the backbone of our sex hormones. So that needs to be in good order. I want to see what your thyroid is doing. And then when it comes to sex hormones, I talk about like, hey, here's the options. It's your money. You have to pay for it. What do you want to do? And this is what each one will show us. And we just decide together. Gotcha. Um, All right. This one's from Stephanie Clarkson in Lowell, Massachusetts. I love your podcast. In one episode, I heard you say something about taking progesterone cream. When you do it, you eat less. So I tried it and it worked. I don't really know what I'm doing though. I just take two pumps of something that I bought on Amazon and put it on the back of my legs and I do it every day. Should I do it certain times of the month? I'm thinking about taking progesterone cream from a real place, not just Amazon, but I just randomly bought this one on Amazon. Can you talk more about this? Stephanie Clarkson in Lowell, Massachusetts. (laughs) Well, that's awesome that it's working for her. You know, there are some products out there that I will say probably aren't absorbed as well, or they may not be as clean. They might have product, you know, byproducts in them that you don't want to be putting on your skin. But there are quite a few nice, clean progesterone creams. And I would say if you're still in the reproductive age, use it the second half of your cycle, days 12 to 28, somewhere around there to keep that progesterone level up. You know, it, when, why are you doing it on day 12? So what's happening on day one through 12 that you don't want to take it? Well, it's just that your normal cycle, you have a much lower amount of progesterone circulating. It's when you ovulate that you start making more progesterone. So that's what your body normally does. So it's just trying to mimic your natural cycle. Some women do use it the entire month, but if you get a dose high enough, you might have changes in your bleeding cycle and things like that. So you want to just try to mimic your natural cycle. So progesterone goes up after you ovulate. So that's why we usually do it during that second half. But too much estrogen can cause fluid retention. So 
You know, I see that all the time. Postmenopausal woman with no uterus gets just estrogen replacement and she starts to gain weight and feel angry and irritable because she doesn't have that progesterone, which is like a natural diuretic. And so you're going to prevent all that weight gain and everything. Progesterone actually helps you sleep better, which has to, a lot to do with your leptin. So leptin is an appetite hormone. And if you're not getting good sleep and you're making too much of that, you're going to be hungry all the time. So if you take progesterone at bedtime, it helps you sleep, your leptin levels get better, your appetite tends to go down. Okay. This is from Anonymous. I have five kids and my husband is in the military and we have a very, very strict budget. I need to get my thyroid checked and my hormones checked, but I want to do this all through the military base. Can you tell me very specifically exactly which tests that I need to take and what those numbers need to be? Because I don't have the money to go see a functional medicine practitioner to do all of this for myself. Anonymous. First, thank you for your your service in the military and your husband being in the military. We always appreciate that. And I'm sure that's very hard with five kids um, as well. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Thank you for your service. And that's a bummer that she has to worry about cost, right? I think it's so unfortunate. So I have a thyroid lab cheat sheet that she can check out to see that. My concern is that when she, if she finds out she's not in the good range, what is she going to do? She's going to have to either try to talk her doctor into helping her or find somebody else. But I really encourage people to look at when they spend money on their health as more of an investment, right, as opposed to a cost, because you are hopefully preventing yourself from being on medications long-term and ending up in the hospital and having surgeries and other things if you keep yourself healthy now. So it's more of an investment. So think about it that way, but definitely check out the cheat sheet because I think- Where is that? Where do people go to get that? Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to give you the link for my in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to this recent review a happy coaching client sent in. Thanks so much for your help and guidance. I never could have done it without you. The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day, over and over and over again, and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. Okay, good. Now, for you, um, as far as the hormones that they would need to get tested, what are the major hormones that she would need to get tested? So she should, for her thyroid, do TSH, total and free T4, total and free T3, reverse T3, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, and thyroid globulin antibodies. I also recommend checking zinc, iodine, and selenium along with those because those 
minerals have a lot to do with your ability to convert and utilize thyroid hormones. So if you are too low on those, you're going to have issues. Vitamin D is also a big player in a lot of our cellular functions. So I would check that. And then check for your estradiol, your estrone, your progesterone, your DHEAS, which is um, it's a precursor hormone that goes on to make your other hormones, but it's kind of an important one. It comes from your adrenal glands. So I would test that. Then I check your free and total testosterone. I also check prolactin because prolactin comes from your pituitary gland and prolactin gets produced when you're breastfeeding and you are trying to have milk production but sometimes women will get a little benign tumor on their pituitary gland and their prolactin will get elevated and it throws off their cycle completely. I will tell you more times than not, I have found elevated prolactin as a major issue for women's irregular cycles. And a lot of other doctors missed that. So, and I checked FSH, follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Those are two other hormones from your pituitary gland, that's what talks to your ovaries and tells your ovaries to make estrogen and progesterone. So yeah, that's a long list. Mm. Okay. A lot of blood drawn. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So this is another one from anonymous. I have psoriasis and a major candida overgrowth. I'm constantly getting yeast infections and giving it to my husband and giving it back to me. I've started taking some Diflucan and I've been taking it five days in a row. It's still 150 milligrams of Diflucan five days straight in a row and I'm getting no results. Still major candida. I believe it's in my gut and down there. What do you suggest that I do to get rid of this candida? Is there any suggestions that you have? I need a functional gynecologist. Oh, yes. She, that poor woman, she most likely has it in her gut. And here's the thing. Sugar and simple carbohydrates feed candida. They feed the yeast. So you have got to go on, you know, cut the sugar out. Get rid of the sugar hardcore. That's going to make a huge difference. And, and even the fruit, right? Because when you're having that much. So fruit gets metabolized into sugar. Bread gets metabolized into sugar. Any of those crackers, pasta, alcohol, it all gets metabolized into a form of sugar. She's eating, she needs to be eating meat and vegetables and that's it, nothing else. And even the vegetables, like no potatoes, no starchy. So it's like basically any kind of meat and non-starchy vegetables is all she's eating. That's what she should be eating. Yeah, good three months of that. Really kill off that yeast. I also like to use oil of oregano twice a day to kill that off at least for three months, or you can use caprylic acid. Um, so there's some nice herbal remedies that you can use, but you got to kill that. You just got to stop feeding them. And it's hidden in a lot of processed foods. So even if you're not adding sugar to your food, it's in anything with boxes and bags in, you know, like salty foods, people don't realize is full of sugar, like potato chips, all sugar, 
And so it's just learning how do I get the sugar out of my diet? That's where I would start. Um, let's talk about that Diflucan because she took it for five days, 150 milligrams. Don't they only give you like one dosage of that? Isn't that what should like kill it off normally? Or how does that work? Normally, Isn't that bad for your liver if you take that too many days? Or what's the number of days she should take that where it's uh, your liver is okay with that? We definitely worry about the liver. So traditionally, one day treatment is all that's necessary. So that's why I think she needs to revamp her diet hardcore. So her liver's probably fine at this point, but I wouldn't recommend continuing that. You know, there have been treatment regimens where physicians are doing Diflucan for months, you know, and then people end up with elevated liver enzymes and liver issues, and they're not getting to the root of the problem. The problem is these bacteria and yeast are continuing to be fed. You got to cut them off at the source. So and that's when she should be doing some extended fasting too, because if you've got that much yeast, that would be in a major way for you to do an extended fast followed by just meat and vegetables, then another extended fast and then meat and vegetables to really kill that. Yes. It resets your gut microbiome. It's, it's an amazing tool. It really does kill off the stuff that shouldn't be living in there. Mm. Well, this has been so great. We will definitely put all that stuff in the show notes if you could email that to me. But tell listeners all the things that they can, free resources they can find and tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Yeah, definitely follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Tabitha, T-A-B-A-T-H-A, all A's. I have a free ebook called The Functional Gynecologist Guide to Hormone Balance. So that's a really good one for people to check out. It's free. And then, like I mentioned before, the Thyroid Lab Cheat Sheet. So I think those are two really good ones. And then I do a program called the Renew You Sisterhood, where it's a closed Facebook group that you pay to join. And I coach you through how to do intermittent fasting. It ends in a five-day water fast. You don't have to do that part, but it's life transforming because you gain so much confidence. You gain freedom from food. You learn how to manage your stress. You get your gut rebalanced and your hormones rebalanced. So it's an incredible program. It runs for seven weeks and I do it pretty often, a few times a year. So Definitely look for that coming up again at the end of the year. Um, and don't hesitate to reach out to me because I have a podcast too, right? That Chantel's been on, been an amazing guest and lots of good information on the functional gynecologist. Yeah, that's great. Now, let me ask you this. How, how often do you think um, that you should do an extended fast? Like, do you do extended fast? Like the, when you do the five day, do you do that with them or do you? Do you do some extended fasting yourself? I don't do it every time with the group. I think that's probably too much. It's more for deep healing of your body. So one to two times a year, really depending on what you're going through. I do know somebody who does it every four months. Um, I don't think I could handle that, <laughs> but I don't think I need it either. You know, yeah. 
I just, my life is so busy and I think that you need to be mentally in a good place and be able to control what's going on in your surroundings when you have that kind of situation because you just really need to rest and restore. So um, I wouldn't say that you should do it regularly, but it is kind of, you know, an amazing experience to go through. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I do a lot of like two day fasts and I do a lot of three day fasts. Um, but, and I get a little bit of results with things I've got going on. I've got some, a lot of skin issues going on, but once I get to day five, I feel like that is day five. If you can do a five day or a seven day fast, that's when really magic, magic happens. I guess my body's just so used to doing two days and three days that now when I do a two day fast or a three day fast, it's not that magical. Five day fasts are hard. They're just like, I have to really, you know, whoop myself up for those. But when I do do them, it's like, wow, just the amount of results I see are huge. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have a sisterhood so that we could all support each other and do it together because it does take a lot of mental fortitude and just support from other people. So it's been really awesome. Well, this has been great. If you, we have had Tabitha back on the show. And actually, we I joke her sometimes because the last time she was here, she was actually in her closet doing the interview because <laughs> I think you had kids running around or something like that. And you were like, this is the quietest place we're going to be. I'm going to be in the closet. So don't miss out. You can hear her on that episode. And like she said, she has an amazing podcast called The Functional Gynecologist Podcast. And what I love about you so much is just that you have all that knowledge of being an actual doctor in the, you know, regular sense, but you have that functional approach, which really is so great. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for letting me be on your show. All right. Well, you guys stay tuned. We have another episode coming up in just a few. And remember, if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.